And now, from Star Worldwide Networks, it's time for Don Cromwell Live, an insightful, entertaining look into all aspects of the music industry. You'll never hear music the same way again. Now, here's your host, producer, songwriter, musician, and former Air Supply and Eddie Money bassist, Don Cromwell. Don Cromwell. Well, Don Cromwell Live, it beats the alternative. That's for damn sure. Right side of the dirt. (laughs) So happy to be here. Thank you again, everybody, for tuning in, whether it's right now live on December 7th, 2022, heading towards Christmas in the new year, 2023. I saw a calendar with, I brought it home, actually, 2023. It is just unbelievable how fast time goes by. My daddy told me when I was a young little tyke, DR, Donald, he said, DR, time goes by a lot faster as you grow older. I said, Dad, I got the whole weekend ahead of me. And here I am, just celebrated a very big birthday milestone number. Yeah, I'm going to say it. Seven zero. Yeah. Big seven zero. Big seven zero, November 28th. And what did we do for my 70th? We sat in front of the fireplace and had. Costco enchiladas because I was sicker than a dog, what they call RSV. I thought I had COVID for sure, went into urgent care. They tested me and they said, no, you don't have COVID, but you got RSV, respiratory... Syntactial virus. Syntactial virus. It kicked my ass, but good. It was two weeks ago today. I'm about 90% just thankful for that, man, but it was something else. So it, it's just going around, uh, Danny. Oh, I forgot to say, uh, in beautiful Danny Forrest. I call her D Forrest here hey, next everybody. to me. Happy holidays, yeah, everyone. Yeah, Danny is here, and uh, we had that birthday. <laughs> you know, wasn't exactly the wild party I thought I might have, but it was just meant to be. And then at that point, with so much sickness going around and and between covid and rsv which used to from what i understand was mainly for young kids and now a, a lot of adults are getting it but anyway i feel great now moving towards the holidays looking forward to it before i bring my very vip special guest on i want to acknowledge a couple of things and this hit us both hard uh danny it hit a lot of people hard the passing of Miss Christine McVie from Fleetwood Mac. What a loss. Uh, what a voice. It, what a voice. I, you know, I turned on uh, the computer and went, you know, first thing online and Yahoo front page was that Christine McVie had passed away. I guess she had a very short illness, still don't really know, but for some reason, and you kind of put it in perspective, D4, is that, you know, it's a part of our generation, you know, it's just, it's, she was such Fleetwood Mac in general, of course, but Christine McVie with that great voice and great songs. Uh, it was such an icon. It, it just, it hit a lot of people hard. I, I've, I've read a lot of the comments from celebrities and of course their fellow bandmates, just uh, R.A.P. Christine McVie. It's the passing of an era in a way with one more person who marked that wonderful time in music just sort of gone from us and then to be followed by Kirstie Alley just a couple of days ago it's it's really hard to take all this loss in right now yeah I was going to comment next on Kirstie Alley who I happened to meet many years ago when I was in air supply uh, I was at some f- charity function it was a pretty big deal kind of a black tie if I recall and I met Kirstie and she couldn't have been nicer she was a very very sweet gal very outgoing just just who you think she was so yes that's where i was going next r.i.p to kirstie alley my sister candace lover hope you're listening candy and she just said christy alley i said no it's kirstie alley and i read a great thing by ted danson he was saying he was on an airplane and he said i never watch reruns of cheers but he happened to and it was and i wasn't a huge cheers guy but he said there was a episode that he was watching where somebody's asking Kirstie's character to marry him and she wants to say yes but she keeps saying no he just said she was a very very great actress so Christine McVie and Kirstie Alley two very important people the culture as we know it anyway hope everybody's 
having a great holiday, heading towards Christmas. Everybody's fired up. Family and friends are where it's at. Speaking of friends, let's bring them on right now. I don't need to do any research on this guy. I know him well. I love him like a brother. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, Mr. Doug Goldstein. Dougie. Doug, yay. Hey, hey, hey buddy. You're calling him from St. Louis, Missouri, right? That's it, yes, sir. Home of the uh, the Guns N' Roses riot, by the way. <laughs> oh, oh <laughs> so I ended up back here, Don. Uh, uh, apologizing uh, everywhere I go. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, sorry. no, please. I love how you kicked riot off in that. What what happened? Guns N' Roses riot. I don't know about that. Oh my lord, are you kidding me? Yeah. So Axel ended up uh, diving in the crowd because he saw some guy uh, moving his way through the audience all the way down into the front row, but he's beating people up along the way. And we didn't know <laughs> it. That's saying, get that guy, get that guy. So he know Axel's not a dumb guy, so he figures the only way that he's going to get security's attention is if he says, hey, that guy's got a camera, because we had a no-camera policy. Uh-huh. It, wasn't about the, it wasn't about the camera. We didn't find out until probably six months later that the guy worked with the local security company. So they're not going to throw him out. That's their buddy Stump. Uh. So Axel, Axel continues to yell, get that guy, get the guy. And nobody's <laughs> going to do anything. So Axel goes, screw it, I'll do it myself. And he dives in and beats the piss out of this guy. Oh. And, and, and gets up and leaves. And so the whole band leaves the stage. And it's the second show they ever had at this particular uh, venue, uh, Riverport. Yeah. And, uh, so uh, they tore the building apart. You know, Don, you know, you're intimately familiar like I am with, you play an amphitheater and those, those chairs are bolted to the ground. <laughs> well, they were flying like Frisbees. Oh was, my gosh. I, I stuck around because I had, you know, Phil Ely, the lighting guy who's never been in a fight in his life. Um, the sound guy, um, you know, who he's never been in a fight in his life. And so I had to go protect those guys. And so I took my shirt off my pass and I pretended like I was one of the crowd <laughs> and, and the police were shooting this big fire hose. Um, and the fans took the hose away from the police and they're shooting at the cops. So I come up, I go, Hey, let me have a turn. Let me have a turn. And the guy holding the hose goes, no. And the rest of his buddies go, he's one of us. Give it to him. Oh, wrong move. Oh, my. <laughs> I'm closing wow. these guys down, Don. And they're literally like, they're, they're traveling. The force of the water is like pushes them back on the ground, like 40, 50 yards. Right. So, I mean, it was, uh, it was an experience. <laughs> Right, it wasn't the last riot we had, but it was certainly, uh, certainly interesting. Well, I, 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 back yeah. here. I, I love it. Now you kicked right into that, which I love. That's your style, man. Let's go. F but for those <laughs> who don't know him, maybe first-time listeners, second-time listeners, people who don't know, Doug Goldstein and I first met back in '83, '84 when I was playing bass with Air Supply, yeah. and Doug was hired to head up the security, and he's just an awesome guy. The whole family that we had was just a great group of people. Doug, it was special to everybody, particularly to Russell Hitchcock, the great singer. You guys were tighter than thieves. And, but, uh, so Doug, and we'll get into our stories and our background in a minute, but Doug, you know, after a couple of years, he, he was moved on, and I knew he was doing something, but then the next thing I hear, Doug Goldstein's managing Guns N' Roses. Tell us the story of that transition, my friend. Where, how did that happen exactly? Yeah, so uh, you remember Barry Siegel. Of Don, course. Uh, the, the, yeah, the business manager. So him and his partner at the time, Richard Feldstein, they called me and they said, look, Goldstein, because I had worked, done a lot of work for him. Yeah. Uh, Air Supply, Black Sabbath. <clears throat> so they said, look, you can't be a Jewish bodyguard your whole life. You're way too intelligent for that. And <laughs> you know, my last name's Goldstein. So I just kind of went, okay. I mean, look, I'm a Christian kid, right? But I'll go with it. Okay, so, so what are you saying? They said, well, we think that you should tour manage. And I'd never heard of the band because they were brand new. And I said, what are we talking about? And they said, well, this group called, oh, what do you, what do you know about Guns N' Roses? And I, I swear to you, Don, my line was, well, given the choice, I guess I'd rather have a rose stuck in my face. Why? Right? And they, they said, no, it's a band. Right? So they sent me the cassette, which is how long ago it was. And I'm, I'm dead serious. I heard it goes, it's a wheezy into welcome to the jungle. And I thought they had two singers. 
because Axel's voice is he's a crazy range. And so I ended up meeting with the manager and the band, and they put me out as tour manager first. And within four months, I was a co-manager. And then about two years later, the manager was let go, and I ended up taking it on myself. Um, you know, sometimes I say I, I lost a bet, which is how I ended up there. But um, just because of all the things that I had to deal with, I'd never seen heroin before. And it was pretty ugly to have to deal with. Um, but sure. you know me, Don, I like to, I like to be part of a family. So we're kind of touring around like the dysfunctional Partridge family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. And, 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 and Doug, as long as I've known you, I did not know that Barry and Richard were behind the initial connection. I never knew that. And, yeah. and Barry and I share the same birthday, by the way, November 28th. He's a little older than I am. Wow. I didn't know that. Okay, yeah. Cool. And, and so does Craig Duswald. Craig's is also November 28th. All the sages. And, yeah. We're but. We're a bunch of saggies. Wow. And, yeah, but how weird is that? We were all in the same organization, and, and of course, Barry still manages Air Supply. Uh, Danny and I went to see him about a month or so ago. They were in Anaheim. Uh, it was great, and, and I know they were just in Australia. If they're not still there, I'm not sure, and they were very excited to be going back to their quote-unquote home state. Of course, Graham's English, but they met in the right, yeah. Australian production of Jesus Christ Superstar. But, Dougie, I never knew that, so you were there their manager got let go or he moved on and i mean how did you become the manager yeah the manager got fired i mean he would have been fired long before but i kept saving his tail actually would call me and go he's fired and i go well then i'm fired because he's my partner Uh uh-huh and i would call slash and say dude i need you to call axon get him off the wall he's trying to fire niven again and so finally, Niven did some, and I won't go into it, but he did sure. some pretty unscrupulous stuff where Slash wasn't going to defend him anymore. Uh-huh. Um, so, uh, you know, I called him and actually was like, I'm not going to tour with him and I'm not touring without you. So figure it out. Mm. And so I called Slash looking for the backup and he said, he told me what had transpired. And again, I won't go into it on this. I'll tell you privately, yep. Don. But, yep. Yep. Um, and he, he just said, I'm not, I'm not saving him this time find out what he wants and so it was it kind of reminded me sorry to snort but it kind of reminded me of that um austin powers right how much three million dollars and if he dude if he could have seen in the future three million was like parking change compared to what you know the the band ended up making and management commissions but yeah well, uh, number one, good on you for not spilling the heavy dirt on the air. And while I can't wait to hear the real story, but Doug, <laughs> uh, f- fast forward to, I, I remember, you know, my dear late wife, Cindy and I were in Phoenix out of the blue and, and I saw, we just opened up the paper and guns and roses was playing. And, and I got a hold of you somehow. And you said, yeah, man, go to the show, but you want to play golf tomorrow with Alice Cooper. And, uh, so you, you, me and Alice played at the Phoenician. I forget who else joined us. And then, uh, I went to, we went to the show that night and I don't think Axel landed in the helicopter till like what? One o'clock in the morning, maybe. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that was pretty much status quo, DC. <laughs> yeah, he just couldn't control it, huh? I mean, in terms of his arrival time. Yeah, well, take this one. My birthday is May 9th, and so we were playing San Diego Arena, Sports Arena, and we had three shows. Yeah, three shows there that we we're going to do. So, first show, my birthday. Um, I had hired this guy that I went to college with, named Earl Gabadon, to be his bodyguard. Uh, very large black gentleman. I just love him. Heart of gold. And so he calls me and he says, Hey, um, we're not coming. I said, uh, who's we, oh. he goes, well, Axel says he's not coming. I go, dude. And now Soundgarden, just, they had come off the stage like an hour prior. Okay. And he's, I had the helicopter arranged for Axel. Um, so he's sitting at LAX's helicopter port and, uh, and he said, I, I go, so what's he doing? He goes, we sit against a wall. I said, don't let him leave. He said, what? I said, don't let him leave. I'm on my way. Uh-huh. He goes, all right. So I, ta- I talked to the promoter into uh, landing a helicopter on top of San Diego Sports Arena. And, and by the way, my parents are there and all my friends. Sure. <laughs> so, yeah, I'll be back. <laughs> so I climbed the stairs up to the top of the arena and I jump inside this helicopter 
and I land and there he is. And so he's, what are you doing here? And I said, dude, I go, look, um, you have to play tonight's show and let me tell you why. And he's shaking his head. No, I'm not. And I said, J- just let me finish. I said, I have no problem if you want to cancel the next two nights. Okay. No problem. I don't have an issue with that at all, but I can't cancel a show once the crowd's been let in. Cause somebody's going to get hurt. I can't do that, particularly in my hometown. Oh, and lest, lest we forget, it's my birthday, right? So, <laughs> that a boy. Playing, so you are playing. Yeah. So you are playing tonight's show, right? And, um, I said, like I said, man, you want to cancel the other nights? I don't have a problem with that at all. I said, but you are coming to tonight's show. So he ended up going on stage there at like midnight or something. And the interesting thing, you guys, about about Axel, whenever he'd show up and start the show at like one or two, they ended up being his favorite shows. Hmm. And, And half the crowd would be gone. And he would go, I understand why people leave. And I'd say, Axel, look, 90% of your crowd is a blue-collar crowd, which means they have to get up at 5 a.m. And and so they're not going to stick around no matter how good you are, no matter how much you think people want to see you. They're going to lose their jobs if they don't get to work on time. And so um, it was always this back and forth with Axel. Um, He wasn't being an ass, and that's the popular opinion. He's a big jerk. Quite the opposite. As you know, Don, I've worked with a lot of bands in my, in my past, and I've never seen another singer who has that bigger uh, fear of failing. So his prep time is like four hours. Um, he does chiropractic, then massage, uh, then he eats, then he does a vocal warm-up. And if he squeaks during that vocal warm-up, he starts the entire process over again. Wow. And his thought, his thought is always, look, I don't, you know, if somebody's spending $50 on their ticket, they're going to get a great show out of me. And so if they, if I think that they're not going to, then I'll start it again so that I'm con- convinced that I'm not going to go out and squeak. Um, you know, I don't know anybody else like that. Mm. Wow. That's, that's interesting. So the, what was the final result in San Diego? Did he cancel the other two shows? No, uh-uh. no. It's, you know what? Once I talk sense into him, and he and he had a great time. Yeah. Then he wants to continue, right? Um, so, and I knew he wouldn't cancel. You just got to leave him the door out. Um, you know, get him that one show. I know he's going to have a good time. It wasn't the first time he'd done something like that with me. So it sounds like you were kind of a wizard with him. You, I can see why they wanted you to manage. You had a way. A knack. Yeah. Well, you know what's well, you know what's interesting, Danny, is my brother was genius manic depressive five years my senior, and so you understand. I always said, you know, I, 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 I was tailor made for this job. Because yeah. that that was Axel, genius manic depressive, but he wouldn't medicate, and so I was always my job was trying to ascertain what side of the fence we're on, intelligence or insanity, and then you give a moment, right? That's a definite skill so, for sure. Wow, I'm going to write that down, intelligence or insanity. That's a great line, Dougie, and I'll give you credit, maybe. Uh, but, Doug. But, hey, that's all right, dude. Plagiarize away. Uh, plagiarize. But, I mean, I can only imagine the challenge. I mean, I'm thinking the, of the logistics and of you keeping a cool head to be in San Diego and Axel's in L.A. and you get in a helicopter. I mean, wh- how long does it take you to get from San Diego to L.A. in a helicopter? I don't even remember, but I got to guess somewhere between 45 minutes and an hour, huh? Okay, so you go there, you got to talk him into getting on that helicopter to go back. What's mm-hmm. what's happening in a sold-out arena during that time? Yeah, well, that's one of the things that the band used to just love about us. <laughs> I mean, probably the greatest thing I ever did for that band was not letting Axel know that the rest of the band absolutely hated him. Because you can imagine, Don, uh, as a musician, if, uh, let's say Eddie just failed, left the stage, and you guys are up there playing Wipeout or anything else you can, because right. you don't know why the hell he left. Wow. Yeah, right. You don't know what's coming. You don't even know if he's coming back. Right. That was kind of a nightly occurrence with us. Mm-hmm. Um, something wouldn't be going right, and I was always at stage left, and actually, um, I had my own set of Ultimate Ears. The inner ear mo- uh, monitors, right, Don? Yep. Because um, he wanted me to hear what he was hearing, so my mix was what his mix was. Okay. 
Um, and it was a constant battle, as you know, of lead guitar player versus vocalist. Yeah. And so, you know, I'd have to go over to Slash's tech and say, you got to shut it down. And then sure enough, they turn it back. Right. Yeah. So it was a constant battle, man. And I had to be put in the middle of it. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I can imagine, uh, you know, the, the rest of the guys when you're playing, you know, a hundred thousand seat venues, like in Lisbon, Portugal, I'll never forget that one. Yeah. Tell me yeah, about uh, it. What, what happened in Lisbon? Yeah, so quarter stick of dynamite lands right next to him oh. and he's F this, F this, I'm out of here. And so it's the longest walk I've ever seen in any venue. It's about two miles to get back to the dressing room. Oh my gosh. And so I tell Earl who's walking with us, go tell the band to keep playing. And so I'm sitting there listening to Axel talk and I realize I've just eaten two large pizzas. Right. Oh. <laughs> because that's my, the manifestation of my stress is through eating. So finally he goes, so what do you think? And I said, oh, oh, I'm sorry. This is my turn to talk. He said, Doug, shut up. Yes. What do you think? I said, are you sure you really want my opinion? Doug, would you fuck off? Yes. What? And I said, fine. You want my opinion? Okay. So first off, and I don't know where this came from. It just like popped into my head. I go, first off, happy anniversary. What? What did you just say? I had a a quarter stick of dynamite land next to me, and you're saying happy anniversary? What the hell is that about? I said, well, a year ago today to the very day, we were in St. Louis. Oh. He just looked down. He goes, you're shitting me. I said, no. Uh, It was exactly a year ago today. I said, see, so I put the band and the security guys and the tour manager, I put them, you guys, in cars. and You guys took off for Chicago. I stuck around. And I hired all of my friends from past tours that I'd done, right? And so I watched guys that I know that are my friends crying because they're not sure of their own personal safety. Mm -hmm. And so now we're not in St. Louis. We're in Lisbon, Portugal, where people die at soccer games, football games, whatever, right? Yeah. And so you want to know, you want to know my opinion? My opinion is you have a responsibility to the people that I hire to get back out and finish that show. I don't give a shit what you do after. I said, but you know what? Um, this is really, really, really unfair to the band and the crew um, for you to just pull out and say, I'm not going back again. So in my humble opinion, I say you pull, pull your boots up and go back to work. And he just said, all right, let's go. All right, so Dougie. I don't, I don't know how. I mean, I, nobody had told me, hey, by the way, today's the same day. I have no idea how it popped into my head. But it did, thank God, right? Yeah. Wow. And it ties right into your original story about the St. Louis uh, craziness. I mean, I, I can only imagine, and, and you said it, the stress level must have been intense. Oh, yeah. Very intense, yeah, because you're talking about human lives, right? I mean, we're not entertaining people. And it's what I've always said. Why, you know, why was the band so popular? And I always say, because it's NASCAR. Nobody came to see the show. <laughs> <laughs> Right. That's a good point. Waiting for the crash point, man. Uh, Absolutely, man. Uh, wow. I mean, and, and again, I, I just think that show that I saw in Phoenix, and I remember how in control of things, and, and you know, my boy, at that point, Teddy Zigzag was playing keyboards with you guys. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that was a, a, a awesome lineup. But I, I just remember backstage how yeah, every, everything was waiting for Axel to show up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Hey, I have a funny Dennis Robin story for you. I know you're a big, big uh, sports fan like I am. So <laughs> early on when he was still playing for the Pistons, right? He was in a contract negotiation with the owners. And so to prove how cheap they were, he was literally staying in a station wagon at the, at the uh, arena. Um, <laughs> and so, so I get there like always about two in the afternoon and our production manager, a guy named Opie, he comes up to me and says, hey, do you know who Dennis Robin is? I said, yeah. He goes, he's the best uh, defensive player in the NBA. He goes, yeah. He goes, well, he, he wants to meet uh, Axel. And so I told him that he needs to talk to you. I said, yeah, sure. Send him in my production office. So I'm sitting there and in walks Dennis. He goes, uh, hi, Mr. Goldstein. I said, well, yeah, that's my dad. I said, nice to meet you, Dennis. I said, what can I help you with? 
he goes, well, he goes, I just, you know, I'd love to meet Axel. He seems like a, like a good guy and, you know, somebody that I'd like to, to know. And I said, well, you know what? He never shows up early, but if you can hang out late, um, and he goes, you don't realize what I'm doing, do you? And I said, no, sir. He goes, I'm literally staying in the parking lot to prove how cheap they are. And that's where I do my interviews. I was like, that's brilliant, man. <laughs> right. That's awesome. So, um, I said, okay, all right. Well, if you'll be around afterwards, no problem. So, um, so Axel gets there early. He's never early to any show. Uh-huh. So he gets there like, like two hours early. And so I walk into his uh, dressing room. I said, hey, Axel. I go, and back then he didn't really know much um, about, um, about sports. Now he does. He kind of follows it. And so, but back then he wouldn't have a clue. Sure. So I said, um, there's, a, there's a guy who plays for the local basketball team. Um, he's the best defensive player in the NBA, and he's also a, a fucking psycho, right? And he goes, he goes, oh, yeah. He goes, well, I'd love to meet him. I said, okay, cool. So I, I bring Dennis in, and I said, and I'm standing in what I call the Henry Kissinger position, right? They're facing each other, and I'm kind of in the middle, right? <laughs> so I said, Dennis, Axel, Axel, Dennis. And uh, Axel goes, hey, man, it's really nice to meet you. My manager, Dougie, tells me you're a bigger fucking psycho than I am. Woo! <laughs> oh, Lordy. What did you just say? So Dennis gets about an inch from my face. And this, Don, you know me. I can talk. I can, you know, I, I'll spit out a, a retort to save my life anytime. Yeah. So he goes, yo, he goes, yo, man, did you really say that? I go, Dennis, are you kidding me? I said, you don't know about Axel? He's the biggest clown <laughs> in all of rock and roll. <laughs> and I start laughing. <laughs> so I get Dennis laughing. Thank you, Jesus. Right? Uh, I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. That's my Rodman story. Yeah. Oh, man. And Dennis Rodman was a crazy man, but uh, still is. But, yeah, and you're right. He was the de- best defensive player in the NBA. He helped the Bulls help win Absolutely. how many championships? Absolutely. But, yes, man, I mean, Axel sounds like such a trip. What about the other guys? T- talk about Slash a little bit. Yeah, well, Slash, um, him and I pretty much ran the band's business, and it's kind of interesting, and uh, he now says some derogatory things about me. I don't really know why. Well, I do know why, but I can't get into it here. Okay. Um, yeah, suffice to say, he wronged me in a way that is about the worst way you can wrong somebody, and I'll let you read between the cracks there. Okay. But, um, so, yeah, so I think that he just... And he was also upset that I didn't leave with him when he had his own project. But Axel said, if, you know, I have you under contract. If you leave, I'll sue you. And so I, uh, Axel was about the most litigious person I'd ever met in the music industry. So sure. the decision was easy for me. Um, so And Duff, I, I love Duff McKagan. He's a sweetheart of a guy. Um, I tell people when they ask me about him. He's like anybody you went to high school with. You'd love him, Don, if you've never met him. Yeah, I've you heard guys that. Are, you two guys are so similar. I mean, I love you to death, you Thank know, you. and you're you're kind to everybody from the custodian to the CEO. They all get the same treatment from Don uh, Cromwell. Thank you. One I of the reasons it. I love you. Thank you. And that's Duff McKagan. He's the same way, um, you know. Um, and Matt Sorum, I and I didn't get along with when we toured, but I love what he's done with his life post Guns N' Roses. Um, great producer, but better than that, he's uh, he's doing a lot of great things for humanity in his in his off time. Right. So. Well, well, and and uh, believe me, we're going to get into your new passion in a minute. But uh, yeah. I, I appreciate what you said about me right there, and 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 it's it's true that when I was on the road, <clears throat> excuse me. And a few of those years, thankfully, were with you and and Craig and the and the boys, and then of course my years with Eddie, Eddie Money. For those who don't know, and it was yep. I, man, because I just appreciated the people that really worked harder than we did. You know, the the guys that hung those lights, the the bus drivers, you know, the, uh-huh. the, you know uh, and and I appreciated them as much as my bandmates who I loved, of course. And it just, it was always the same. I mean, the guys that treated them less than, than anybody else. I just didn't like it for me. If I see a a crew guy, man, I'm going to say hi to him and, and, you know, just 
treat them the same. That, that, and I think you were the same way. It, it, they all deserve yeah. the same respect because we're all out there doing the common thing, man. You're on the road. You're away from your family. You're away from your home. Entertaining. Yes, you're making a living. And, and in your case, a damn good living with Guns and Roses during their heyday. And I love to yeah. say that about your tenure with the band during their heyday. Thanks. And for me, it was always about, you know, listen, you know, Joe Mooney, the bus driver. We all love Joe yeah. Mooney, huh? How yeah. can you not love that guy who's out there away from his family probably 10 months a year driving a bus? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, Don, it, it's, it's funny because it reminds me of that, um, that, uh, uh Bon Jovi video, um, where he's, a, I I think it's, uh, I'm a cowboy. Maybe I forget the one, but he's on the jet and he's, and he's looking out his window and it's kind of poor me, you know, I'm working so hard. <laughs> so fast forward, um, we're on our private plane, right? The MGM brand, and I worked at everything on it, right? Sleep compartments, and, you know, you order your food the night before, and I don't care if it's a lobster, you know, they bring it out to you. So anyway, so we're on that plane, and the band starts talking about how tired they are. <laughs> and I say, well, hang on a second. So, so let's see here. So, and I start going around the room. I said, so tonight you made 250000 you made 250000 you made 250000 uh, and you made about 150000 So, um, So this is where I'm supposed to whine for you guys, right? So you're not even sound checking at this point in your career anymore. So that means you spent exactly two hours and 25 minutes on stage. So the crew guys who are making about $200 a day, they've worked 22 hours today. Yep. Yep. And so at what point do I go... Oh gee, I'm sorry, you guys. I'll try and get you guys more sleep because <laughs> because right now you just sound like a bunch of whiny babies. I'm sorry, man. Yeah, uh, but I was the one thing that I did always is I always let them know where they stood and taught them how to be gentlemen. Um, please and thank yous were a big thing for me. Humility goes a big way. Um, and so that was something I was really proud of that I was able to instill into all of them. Mm. That that's awesome, Doug. Really listening to you talk, I can just feel every moment. I mean, on the private plane and and anything that people would dream about, right? And they're going, "Wow, we're so tired." <laughs> I got a question. Go ahead, Danny. Uh, yeah, Danny, go. It sounds like a big part of your job as as band manager was actually managing the larger than life personality that was Axl Rose, and I'm wondering how you manage the relationship if that was part of your your job description between Axel and Slash and what what their relationship between one another was actually like I know I understand that your relationship with Slash went south at some point but what it was what the dynamic was between them because you have a larger than life singer and then you have a larger than life guitarist who was one of the top guitarists of his 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 era so how was that right yeah, that's a very good question, Danny. It actually depends if it's on the road or off the road. When they're off the road, Slash organizes the music. Axel never comes to the studio, and and Slash sends him, you know, whatever they were working on, and then they would talk about it collectively. Um, but once it hit the road, Axel was in such a uh, horrible headspace that. He literally couldn't see the, the forest from the trees. In fact, one of the stories I used to always tell uh, Slash is he would go, why, why can't he just listen to what my problems are, right? And I'd go, dude, you know what? Because he doesn't have the mental capability of doing mm, so Wow. because he's in a depressive state right now. So it's tantamount, Slash, to you calling Axel and saying, dude, dude, my jiffy pops on fire uh, on my, you know, my stovetop. And, and him having no capability of understanding what it is that you're talking about because his entire house is burning to the ground. Right. And so your Jiffy Pop doesn't rate with him at all. So he just disasterized above and beyond anything else that was going on. Away. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, you know, it was my role to make sure that everybody felt taken care of. But in that situation, there's no way that I'm able to allow Slash to think that Axel's going to be able to focus in or listen to what his 
arguments were, right, or right. what his issues or problems were. Um, and there's there was an interesting thing that I did very early on um, in the band's career is um, is Axel was blowing up every single interview that they that they had for him, and so I called the. Uh, the um, the gal that I dealt with for publicity was a gal named Lori Earl. In fact, I spoke to her just tonight. Um, I haven't spoken to her about six months, but I love Lori. She's great. She later went on to be the uh, publicist for Jimmy Iovine, Dr. Dre, Snoop, and Eminem at the same time. Wow. So, I mean, she's she's awesome. So anyway, this is like when she's starting and I'm starting. So she's throwing all these interviews at me, and finally I just told her, I said, you know what? I, it just occurred to me, supply and demand. It's just business, right? It's a business strategy, supply and demand. I said, so from now on, you're not giving me any actual interviews. She goes, what? I said, yeah, you're not giving me any actual interviews. Everything's going to go to Slash. He'll get 90% and I'll split the rest between Duff and Izzy, right? And she goes, you don't understand, Doug. My job is... I get inundated with phone calls. All they want to do is talk to the singer. And I said, right. And so guess what? If you pull the supply, the demand will follow. He'll be able to talk to anybody he wants. He'll be able to talk to Rolling Stone if that's what he wants. He'll be able to talk to Kurt Loder if that's what he wants. And he can do it when he wants to do it. And so she goes, I don't don't know. I don't know. And I said, you got to trust me on this one. And sure enough, it worked like a charm, right? (laughs) Don't give the guy an interview and he's not going to do it because then you just get a reputation as a big jerk. Um, <laughs> Good strategy. So Brilliant, Dougie. Man, I love it. <laughs> and by the way, we got to get that publicist on my show, man. She sounds interesting. Yeah. She's awesome. Yeah. yeah she's cool, man. She's yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, well, listen, I mean, you know, we could, there's so many things and, and I know, uh, you know, we have a, an ulterior motive for you being on the show tonight, but uh, let's not forget another big band that you managed, Blind Melon. Let's talk about Blind Melon a little bit. Well, yeah, Shannon came to me and I love Shannon. Oh man. He was like a son to me. Um, he, I don't know if you know, but he grew up in the same town that Axel did. Uh, mm. West Lafayette, which is the home of Purdue University. Mm. And so he followed Axel basically to L.A. because he saw Axel's beginning of success. And he came to me and he said, um, he said, Dougie, I really want you to uh, manage me. And I said, Shannon, I'm about to go on a two and a half year tour. But I'll tell you what, I'll introduce you to my buddy, Chris Jones, who works for me here in the office. And we'll have a lunch together. And if you like him, then... I'll have him be your day to day and I'll do kind of the heavy lifting. He said, yeah, okay. So we met and he liked Chris a lot. And so I kept checking in with Chris saying, how's Shannon doing? Oh no, he's great. He's fine. Okay. So he's not partying. No, no, no. Mm. The whole time, of course, Shannon was partying hard. Yeah. And as you know, Don, uh, I had a reputation in the music industry for the guy who can help people clean up their lives. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so, uh, he didn't avail himself of, my knowledge and in, in, in helping people. And so when Shannon passed, I went to the funeral and, and you also know, Don, that I can have a temper at certain times. Yes, I do. Which <laughs> is, I, which is, I, you I need that though. Out. Yeah, right. It served, it served me well, uh, at the time, clearly for what I'm doing next, Don, it's got to take a back seat. Right. right. But, um, but yeah, carry on with your story. Sorry. Yeah, no, I, I just, I, I saw the guy and I could not bring myself to say anything to him because I knew with my volatility, I would end up making a big melee at the middle of Shannon's funeral, which would yeah. have done no good. But yeah. yeah, Shannon was a, he was a sweet, sweet, sweet guy. And I love the rest of the guys in the band. I mean, they're just great guys, man. So super, super nice guys. Um, I still occasionally talk to the guitar player, Christopher Thorne. Yep. Um, just a sweet guy. Um, I don't talk to the other guys that much. I really don't know why, but you know, life gets in the way sometimes. It, it sure does, man. And, and as one of my own songs says, it's a crazy kind of life. And look at the journey you've been on. I've been on, uh, Danny. Everybody has their own path, and and you're now and literally before we move on to what is important to you right now. How about your one of your sons was a musician. What, what's up with him right now? <laughs> Yeah, a little fart. He calls me about <laughs> nine years ago. Hey, Dad, starting a new band. I was like, well, let's go, boy. I mean, that's what your dad does. He says, well, yeah, that's what I'm calling you. 
I go, what's wrong? He said, well, Dad, he said, uh, I don't want your help. Mm-hmm. I go, huh? He goes, look, Dad, I don't even notice the kid that rode the Guns N' Roses coattails. Now, you can imagine, Don, how often my phone rings from people that do want to ride the Guns N' Roses coattails and have you work with them, right? Right. So my own son's telling me that, and I respected it. I yeah. said, you know, son, okay, I respect that. His name's Jake, by the way, Jake Bolton. Jake, that's right. And so, yeah, so he gets signed to Epitaph Records, uh, which is Brett Gerwitz's label from Bad Religion. And he's been signed to him, I want to say, at least five years, maybe six, but... You know, he tours the country with his buddies. He was here in St. Louis uh, this past month, and I got to give him a big hug and hang out with him. And oh, fantastic. I kid to death, but, but, his, but my baby boy gets equal billing. Um, he ran the percussion department when he was in high school out of Newbury Park, and I asked him one time, how many instruments do you play? And he said, 47. Wow. Like, wow. I didn't know there was 47 instruments, right? So he's my sweet, sensitive loving guy jake is too but i mean he's not as quiet as eli um eli's just really really uh reserved and i just love that kid to death also and he's my baby boy Uh uh-huh and always will be right that's right that's a thing so now so jake he's still got his what is the band called yeah, they're called Honey, H-U-N-N-I, that's, that's, H-U-N-N-Y, like Winnie the Pooh spells Honey. That's right, that's mm-hmm. right. Well, if you ever yeah. want to have them on the show, just let me know. You know, I mean, I love promoting young Thank bands you. anytime and anything for you. And Dougie, listen, uh, you've been very insightful, man, stuff that I've, as long as I've known you and talked, you've been uh, really articulate about what you've talked about, and I, I think it's freaking awesome. And I'm going to transition into really when you call me and said, Donnie, I want to be on your show to talk about something. Let's get into what your passion is right now. Yeah, it's bringing me happiness. Uh, I haven't been happy for the longest time, and I finally found something that is just derives happiness for me every second of every day. You know, I've almost died probably uh, at least eight times, probably ten times. The worst was probably when I uh, wrecked my quad with no helmet into the side of a station wagon, uh, did five and a half flips in the air and landed on my head, um, splitting it ear to ear, and then I have two bones sticking out of the inside of my left shin, so it was a compound fracture. Um, I ended up getting up and putting my, my hands on the hood of the car. There was a dad, mom, son, daughter in the car. And, uh, and I'm bleeding like, um, you know, like a scene out of Carrie. And I put my hands on the car and I go, is everybody okay? Oh my Lord. They were screaming. Oh. They're seeing dead man, seeing dead oh. man walking, right? Dead man walking. And yeah, and only in America they sued me for twenty grand uh, for uh, therapy for the children, oh. and they won. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> so, long story short, I end up in the back of the ambulance, and they're reading my vitals to the hospital, and uh, and finally the guy who's in the back with me tells the hospital we're going to shut it down. Um, he's going to be DOA long before we get there. We can't, you know, we can't save him. And here I am. So, and, and, and Doug, could, did you could you hear him say that? Yeah, oh yeah. You see, the last thing to go before you die is your hearing. Yeah. So I, I, yeah. I can remember when I when I stepped out of the shower, which I thought would abate the blood. I didn't realize I was cut from ear to ear. So I thought, get in the shower because my wife at the time was the only eyewitness to one of our country's biggest serial killers, uh, a guy they call the dating game killer. Uh, there was a 48-hour special, but she's the only eyewitness. He killed her 12-year-old friend when she was 12, uh, and her friend's name was Robin Sam. So anyway, so she had to testify against him for the third time in 2010. He got put away. But um, through DNA testing, he has been linked to the rape uh, and hack jobs of 130 children. So... Uh, that was a tough one for me because um, he's defending himself, and I know how to take the guy out and save the taxpayers' money, and I'm just praying that he doesn't say a negative word about my wife at the time because I'm going to have to do what I have to do, and right. thank God he didn't. Um, but, 
Yeah, so I figure she had already seen enough, and so I want the blood to abate and her not have to see it, because, again, I don't realize how bad it is. So I look down, and the blood looks like the scene out of Psycho. Yeah. So I'm wearing my bathing suit trunks, and I step out of the side uh, of the the bathroom towards the front door, and she peeks out in the kitchen. She goes, oh, my God. Uh, I'm going to call 911. The last thing I remember before I went face down was, that would be a great idea. (laughs) So, bam. So the EMTs showed up at about three minutes um, because they were right down the street, and I can hear them whispering. There's no way we can can save him. Look at this head wound. Um, And apparently, I don't know much about head wounds, but apparently they're really tough to... Yeah heal or to to get to stop bleeding so um so yeah so that's when they loaded me in the back of the ambulance but um yeah there was a point in time where i swear that my two grandmothers who were dead said uh said to me uh we're not ready for you up here you've got work to do down there and so that's kind of the impetus about uh to what i'm getting into now don um so the whole premise of it is uh, it's called rock for eternity and it's a nonprofit aimed at taking care of those less fortunate than you. So, for instance, Don, I would call you and say, all right, buddy, I'm going to be there in six weeks. Here's what I need. I need you to get me on local radio, local television, if you can, by using the, you know, my background with the Guns N' Roses guys. And here's a guy who's now turned his life around. And he's trying to do good for people. And then I need you to find, like, four different churches. And one will be, be doing a fundraiser for food one for clothing, one for toys for children that don't have them. And lastly, we need to vet an organization that actually spends money taking care of homeless, right? Not that pockets 50%. So uh, when I show up, you know, I'll have a documentary crew with me and because I want the YouTube channel of Rock for Eternity once I establish it to grow Um, because it's just like a brand of anything else. It could be a band, right? So... Whatever the, whatever the product is that one needs to sell, you need to have people realize that it exists. So that's brand awareness. And so I need to make people aware of the brand. And by the way, Don, thank you very much for allowing me to talk about this. Oh, I, I love it, man. You keep so, going. Yeah, so, so I'd show up in, in, you know, in L.A. and I'd say, okay, Donnie, what do we got going today? Oh, cool, DG. So, and you and I already talked about it, but I wanted yep. to appear to be real right for the cameras. So, um, so here's what we got laid out. So we got to get to NBC like now, right? So they're here in the Valley. So we'll be over there and I'll tell you what else we got going on as you drive. So I'll drive and you'll say, okay, so after we do this, I've got a couple radio stations and then we'll do the circle of churches, right? We'll go pick up all the goods. And then, uh, then you'll have already figured out the problematic problematic areas where people are in need and you and I'll go collectively uh, to those areas and we'll distribute the food and the clothing and the toys and lastly the money and you know I want to do kind of the big old checks like you like you see the you know the uh, a lot of winners yeah they hold up the big old oversized checks right yeah exactly so whatever money we raise i want to have a check like that and uh and give it to the organization that again has been vetted um that takes care of homeless people so so uh, is there any sort of a a particular type of cause that you're uh, particularly attached to whether it has to do with i don't know homelessness or or addiction or what types of of things move you yes uh so danny uh homelessness is a biggie for me um and uh, but also, I mean, I don't like to target too, too much and say it's this, this. To me, it's those in need, however that's defined, sure. right? Yes. I have a particular soft spot in my heart for people that aren't eating, right? That their children aren't eating. That yes. bothers me because I've never had that issue. I lived in a family where there were five of us in a 550-square-foot house, uh, my father was a police officer. My mother was a waitress. But you know what? If I wanted a pair of Converse high tops, that's what I got. Um, they never bought anything for themselves, my parents, ever. Yet, whenever, like when my brother before me turned 16, he got a car, not brand new, right? But he got a car. My sister, when she turned 16, she got a Volkswagen. When I turned 16, I got a Carmagia. So, you know, we, they were always doing without and providing for us. 
So I really learned a lot from watching how my parents treated us as children. And I've always had a soft spot in my heart for those less fortunate. In fact, the elementary school that I went to, we were the one elementary school in the district that had the special needs program. And, um, and so I intentionally, because I wanted to, nobody asked me to. Oh, <laughs> Siri, I don't know how to respond to that. Oh, what did <laughs> she say? <laughs> what, I'm, just, I'm just talking to you guys. I know Siri's probably going, I want to help. Um, no, Dougie, keep going, please. Yeah, so, um, so every day, uh, three days a week, um, I'd stay after for two hours just to help the special needs kids because they were just beautifully spirited people and, and they didn't realize they were different. And so I made sure that they didn't feel different, right? It was all about love. And I love people and I always have loved people and I've always loved helping people. Um, it's part of who I is as a human being. I mean, for a tough guy, you know, Don, I mean, that's part of who I am, but I'll cry at a letter opening, right? I mean, I get moved by stuff all the time. Um, this guy, uh, I don't know if you guys saw this, Matt Mauser, um, his wife passed away in the helicopter accident that killed Kobe. And Yes, I, 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 I'm aware there. of that. She's an Orange County girl. That's right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah I know Did that. Did you ever see Don, his, his uh, audition on America's Got Talent? Yep. Uh, no, I did not see it. But uh, ah! a, a, a little personal trivia is that you know my one of my good buddies is the former Angel pitcher and in the Angel Hall of Fame, Chuck Finley. And Chuck was with Matt uh, when that crash happened. And 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 you're kidding me! No, oh my lord! And and he told me it was uh, needless to say devastating. That was like you know eight miles from here when that happened. But yes, I know I know exactly of who and what you're talking about. Yeah, well, you got to check it out, Don. If you can make it out of that thing without crying, then you're a better man than me, dude. I was sobbing. Oh no, I I, I, I sob. You know, I, I've always said that I cry at funerals, no matter whose funeral it is. I mean, just because it's the end of somebody's life, and it happens to all of us, of course. But it's just. I, I do. I at Cindy's funeral, I couldn't talk. I knew I couldn't speak. Mm-hmm. I knew at my dad's my dad's service. I knew I couldn't talk. My brothers who were quiet, you know. Here I've performed in front of fifty thousand people, but I couldn't talk in front of a funeral at my own dad's service because I was just too yeah. broken up. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and it's one of the things that I love about you, Don. I mean, I think that you and I are very, very, very similar to one another, you know? Um, I think that's one of the reasons why we've always, you know, been brothers. We yeah. got along as well as we have. Yeah. Um, but So anyway, yeah, so the, the Rock for Eternity thing. Rock uh, for Eternity. Putting up Rock for Eternity. Just started putting up a couple of TikTok videos. I'm going to get more aggressive with that uh, over the next couple of days, next couple of weeks, um, because, again, you have to grow the brand. And so... Um, you know, if anybody goes and checks that out, please like and share to your friends. Um, and uh, doing the best I can do, Donnie, one at a time. But, you know, I'll just go city to city, town to town, and do my part in trying to alleviate hunger. All right? That's yeah. the big for me is hunger. Um, you know, clothing, shelter. Um, those are all biggies for me. Um, and, I, you know, it's, uh, I don't know when or if I will get into this because you got to – you got to be a bit of a sniper because you can't take a shotgun approach to everything, right, Danny? So, yes. so it was a good question that you asked um, because I worked for about a year and a half for a national nonprofit. I was the COO for the opioid epidemic, and yes, so at huge. what point do you take on? At what point do you take on fentanyl? And the fact that we have our youth, uh, you know, being killed by, you know, something that's being made and distributed, you know, from the Chinese government, and you know, it's just, it's just, it breaks my heart. Um, so, but that one's a really tough one to take on because that's like wear a flak jacket everywhere you go. <laughs> well, you know, that there's a serious the, bullseye on your back. That, yeah. that fentanyl thing is, is huge. The opioid crisis is huge. And a lot of it has to do with, you know, adverse childhood experiences. And there was a long-term study between 
Kaiser, I think it was funded by Kaiser and the government about because mm. they were trying to figure out, okay, how do we how do we stop just this onslaught of of medical expense? And a lot of it has to do yep. with what people experience in their childhood. And you mentioned, Doug, that you know your your parents were very mindful about making sacrifices so that you and your siblings could could have the basics and beyond the basics. But there are many, many people who come from from homes where there's addiction, alcoholism, divorce, yeah. abuse, extreme poverty, and then this results in an entire generation of, of kids who then turn to those things and they don't realize how deadly one shot of heroin could be now because it's Absolutely. cut with fentanyl. That's right. Yeah, you're dead right, Danny. I mean, I was living that nightmare. You know, I was talking to a lot of parents who had lost their children, um, you know, and so it really touched me because it was something that I was very foreign to, but I had my own children and thought, man, I have no idea what's going on in my children's lives, really. Um, because a lot of the parents just had no idea, right, uh, that their children were even messing with any kind of a drug. And it's not always, as you guys, as both of you guys know, it's not always hidden in heroin. It's it's, it's in any kind of drug, right, yes. laced with the fentanyl. So right. uh, I remember hearing about these two uh, football players in the Phoenix area, uh, Robin, by the way, and uh, the wonderful producer of the show. Um, but these two athletes and they went to a party and they took two Xanax that would happen to be laced with fentanyl, killed them on the spot. Um, I think that if I was going to go with that, um, I would raise the, um, the issue of arming everybody with Narcan, uh, can literally immediately takes you out of the high that you were in. Um, and so I think every parent, uh, should have it in their house. I think every, every friend should have one. I think that the addicts themselves should have one, um, that, uh, money should be spent in educating people as to how to use one. It's pretty simple. I've had to use it myself on flash. So, um, you know, when and if I take it on and I'm sure that I will at some point, uh, I'm quite knowledgeable about that stuff and i'm knowledgeable about addiction from having to deal with guns and roses and it's the old of story of lead a horse to water right yeah um so um i mean i was constantly fighting with slash about you got to stop i mean i'm not going to watch my family die in front of me and he would tell me to go f myself sure. you know he's got uh nobody's ever going to tell him when he's going to stop doing drugs right so sure um Right, and and it, oh. uh, I personally lost two young nephews to overdoses, and oh, you know Lord. both in their young young twenties, beautiful young boys. It's, mm-hmm. but you know it it takes a hold of them, and and without, it's not a downer. It's reality, man. And and Doug, mm-hmm. I lo- I love your passion. That's <clears throat> excuse me when you first called me and said, DC, I want to be on your show again and talk about stuff. Yeah. And, and of course, your legacy is is widespread. It's Guns N' Roses. It's those two years that you were with us on Air Supply and blocking out the f- six people trying to get to Russell. Uh, but you were, <laughs> you know, you, but... Hey, hey, Grandma, hey, Grandma, pull the thorns off the roses before you throw them oh, up on stage. I know. <laughs> I, Doug, one of, the, what, what, one of the funniest moments I'll, I, I've shared with friends and family over the years is we were playing uh, Providence, Rhode Island. It was the winter time, and it was colder than you know what. Snow outside, and we had already finished, and there was like four, maybe five, six, fans outside because it was so and we're already on the bus right and all of a sudden you come out with russell god love you like you know we were the beatles right and there was like four fans going hi russell you know but but you always took your job seriously you always did what you and that's what led to your great success with guns and you know through all the things you've been through all the things that all of us have been through we're here right now man doing the best things that we can one of the reasons i still do this show and rock and robin as you 
Calder, my wonderful producer, is just trying to spread mm-hmm. the love and do something positive. You know, in this case... Hey, the... dude, that's what you've been doing since the first day I met you, brother. Uh, <laughs> Don't ever stop, Donnie. <laughs> no, I, I, I won't, because that's that's the gift. And Danny's right. It hit me when you talked about your family in the 550-square-foot home. I grew up in a family of 10 children. And, and you know, my me and my three brothers slept in one room. I mean, that's I'm not complaining, just explaining. But my point is, my dad was career Air Force. He was not a, you know, mm-hmm. but we never lacked for anything. And as, yeah. I, as, as I've said before, my dear father, when he passed away in 91 at his funeral, people mm-hmm. came through the front uh, pew, you know, well, your dad brought us presents at Christmas. Your dad used to visit my grandma. Mm-hmm. Things that we didn't even know about. It's all about I, being the best person you can be. And, and boy, n- Lord knows we need it more than ever. Absolutely, brother. Especially in this day and age when people are so disconnected. I think we need to reconnect to each other and take away the stigma mm-hmm. that, that comes with, with addiction, alcoholism, all those things. And just, I don't know, mm-hmm. help, help, help each other to help each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. Yep, absolutely. Well, you know, I mean, it's a it's a Christian based because I I grew up in in you know in the Christian being a Christian guy, and I call it I was a roller coaster Christian, right? I was in about <laughs> him, and then and then I and then I meet this gal who, oddly enough, I met when I was on the road with Air Supply. She was there at an orthodontic convention in Kansas City, and she's been a consistent Christian since age five. Sandy Steinkamp, sweet Sandy. And so uh, we've been together ever since she found me on LinkedIn. And she said she just knew that God had a plan for me and didn't know what it was, but that she was supposed to support me some way, somehow. So here we are, right? And uh, And I've decided to do this. And I was talking to a gal earlier, and she said, yeah, but I'm an agnostic. And I said, that's, I don't care. I said, let me ask you a question do you have it in your heart to help other people? And she said, well, of course. And I said, that's all I care about. I'm not out here trying to you know, convince the world that my way is the right way. That's not what this ministry, if you want to call it that, is about at all. That's not the voids that I'm on. The voids that I'm on is have a heart and just try and realize that we need to, there's such a divide in our country of those that have and those that don't, that my Really, my my hope is to get out there and just help people who need help, um, you know, who aren't milking the system. They really need help and and to help those people. And so if I can do something and leave that as my legacy, Don, then, yeah, I mean, that's really – that's way bigger to me than he was the Guns N' Roses manager. I mean, to help wow. humanity far exceeds that. Perfect, perfect way to sum it up, Dougie. We're at the end of the show. Uh, what What else would you like to say? How can you promote it? How can people get involved? Are we at that point yet? I'd say follow the yeah. I would say follow the TikTok thing. I don't really have. I mean, I just set up the five hundred one C three status, uh, the nonprofit. So um, moving on that, but I don't really have a place to donate to at this point in time. Um, so I don't want to mislead anybody. It'll be set up, Donnie, in probably the next month. And so I'll, you know, I'll circle back with you and kind of let you know that that's been all set up. Um, so, um, but yeah, just follow the TikTok. Like I said, um, if you like it, then hit a like and a share and then let your friends know about it. Um, again, the whole goal is to just get out there and take care of people that are in need that are less fortunate than we are. And there's a lot of them. So well, that's it, Donnie. Thank you so awesome. much. Well, awesome. and, Love you so much. And, and that's the basic message of life, man. Do unto yeah. others as you would have. You finish that. Golden rule, baby. Thank, yep. Hey, everybody, uh, don't go away, Doug, because before you do, I want to thank the network back in Phoenix, of course, the Star Worldwide Network, my boy, Back in Phoenix, Dave, the Mayor Pratt, my great producer, Rockin' Robin Cote. She's the best. By the way, Doug, if you haven't heard before, she's written an amazing book called Soul Stirrings about loved ones who still stay in touch. And that means a lot to Danny, who lost her husband. Oh, very cool. It it, it is Soul Stirrings. And maybe after we finish the show, you and Robin can hook up to get a 
autographed copy. Uh, I value mine so I much. Love it. Yeah. But uh, Doug, uh, you've been amazing, Doug Goldstein, everybody. And you know, John Lennon said it best: "Love is all you need, man." And just. Be kind to one another, and that's what I love about your message, Doug. Respect your police officers. Pray for our troops, past, present, and future. Today is Pearl Harbor Day, special day in all of our hearts. Our, our troops, they're the ones laying their butts on the line. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to Don Cromwell Live. It's one of the few shows I've done in 10 years with absolutely no music, but that's how I value you, Doug Goldstein. Oh, thank you, Don. I love you too, brother. Okay, love you too, man. Good night, D4. All you need is love. All you need is love. Good night, everybody. Take care, and thank you for tuning in to Don Cromwell Live. Thanks for listening to Don Cromwell Live. Producer, songwriter, musician, and former Air Supply and Eddie Money bassist, Don Cromwell. Every week, Don Cromwell Live connects the artist with you, the fan. Hear Don Cromwell Live as it happens Wednesday night, 9 p.m. Eastern, or on demand 24-7 on StarWorldWideNetworks.com. And follow Don at Facebook.com slash Don Cromwell and Twitter at Don Cromwell Live. Don Cromwell Live from Star Worldwide Networks.com.